Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Patrick, good job, man. First time hosting. First time hosting. Man, I love this church, but I hate hosting. Uh, (laughs) I'm thankful for people who do. There's so many things to remember, man. I mean, honestly, uh, you killed it, so good job. Excited that you're here gathering this morning. I'm really excited that my my brother Jensen Metcalf and his wife Hannah are here. We're celebrating them in town, uh, just here for the heat. Uh, no, <laughs> wedding reception, better things than that. Uh, but uh, excited to share with you today. We're beginning a new series, really launching it out, uh, called The Church on Fire. And that's not because it's 150 degrees outside. That's because we're really believing God for more. And uh, we're really, really excited about it. I was just really fired up by worship and continually overwhelmed by how the Lord um, speaks and renews and encourages. So uh, I don't know about you. I, I am a really uh, big uh, really big fan of fishing. I love to fish. I grew up uh, fishing. I lived in Washington, and it was really convenient to fish. I, I still do it a lot here. Go a couple times a month. I went to the men's camping trip. I got totally skunked. I caught like three of the smallest fish that I've ever caught, and I walked the most I've ever walked to catch fish in my life. I don't know. Arizona fishing so far for me has been like, hike down this canyon, and then you'll find a small stream where you can fish. I'm like, man, you know they have rivers, right? <laughs> like, make it easier. But I grew up fishing rivers. I grew up fishing a river called the Skykomish. Someone say Skykomish. See, you nailed it. You're basically native Seattleites. Um, so we fished the Skykomish, and it's a, it's a beautiful river. And uh, I remember one day I was going out, and it's between these kind of two mountain passes. It comes down. It's what splits the pass. And I put my waders on, and I go down to the stream. And I would say that the river at its widest is probably about as wide as this room. And the spot I fished are probably about half as wide. So this row of chairs here, and you just go out, and you'd step on the rocks so you find your spot. And then you have that very pivotal moment where you have to step down into the current and uh, hope, you know, you chose wisely as you step down into the current. And as I stepped down into the current, um, I just started walking across the, the river and, and fishing. And at some moment, because I've fished in this part of the river a lot, uh, I noticed that there was a change in, in the current. And it was really subtle, but because I'd been in that water a lot, I felt it almost immediately. And it was that feeling, if you've ever stood in water, of the water now pushing harder against your feet. And so uh, being raised well by my father, I, I knew that was the moment where you don't take another cast, you just go. <laughs> like, you start walking. And as I started walking towards the edge, uh, the the water would get higher and higher, and as it got higher, it gets hard, it moves faster, which means your steps, if I'm crossing the river this way, your steps are actually like step river push, right? Step, and you try not to cross your feet. If it gets you, you go down like a half-drunk ballet dancer. And so you have to step with intent as you go across, and when we got to the other side, um, walked up onto the bank, and the water had gone from maybe just below my knees to up about my waist. And, you know, I, I was fine. I'm, I'm alive. I'm not a ghost. Um, yes, <laughs> here I am. Uh, and I, I remember that moment because it was so pivotal in reminding me to be sensitive to a move or a shift or things that were happening and, and, and to go with where, where I knew and where I felt directed. It was interesting. In uh, January of 2020, uh, we, we do this thing called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. It's always been pivotal to uh, what we believe in spiritual uh, formations, and I honestly believe fasting is one of the most important things the church ought to be doing. I think it's powerful. Uh, I, I really value it. And so we do 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting to begin the year, and people are always like, man, there's like never a good time. Why do we do this? And I just want to encourage you, this is why we do it right here, is that in 2020, I was praying and fasting, and I was praying for discernment. Uh, Discerning of spirits and wisdom are actually both gifts of the Spirit. They don't get much press, but I really like those ones. (laughs) I would say I was speaking to some uh, leaders in our church and some incredible uh, people that I would consider spiritual leaders. I was speaking with Barbara Keats, and we were talking about really longing for a greater discernment upon, upon the church, like at large. And so I was praying and fasting for discernment, for wisdom, and the Holy Spirit led me and really gave me this word, and uh, it was the word dread, 
which is like the opposite of what I was praying for when I was praying for God to give me really direction. And I was like, dread, that is the worst possible choice that I could have received. And so I was like, okay. And I just began to pray in that. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to me and, and guided me in this moment. And I began to pray. And I, what I had heard is that there was a spirit of dread going to come upon our nation and that we needed to be prepared, which isn't like a normal word for me. I'm not that guy. Uh, and I was like, Oh, and so I shared with my wife in January. I was like, hey, I know we're trying to adopt a child any day, but the Lord told me, and I don't want you to be freaked out about this, but I'm pretty sure that God has told me that a spirit of dread is going to come on our nation and that we need to be prepared. And she was like, what? <laughs> right? And I, I like, that's not what you expect. You know, right? Like, like we're like Pentecostals. We expect like, word for the Lord, the river is flowing. Right? We expect something like that. Uh, but that's, that's not what it is. And uh, anyways, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm, you know, the, when you read the prophets of old, you'll understand. Uh, you just get these words. And so then my mother, who is full of the spirit, she came over to my house and she, she told us before she came over, she said, I feel like God's given me a word for you. I want to come over. And I thought, great. She's probably way more plugged into what's happening than I am. I don't know when wires cr got crossed for me in these 21 days. People are getting healed during the time of prayer and fasting. I'm just hearing like dread for the nation. Be ready. I'm like, okay, <laughs> hooray. So then my, my mother comes over. She says, listen, I feel like God has a word for your family. She said, uh, be prepared for a season of doing ministry different than you've ever done it. And I was like, that's awesome. She's like, but not in a good way. And I was like, <laughs> we are never doing 21 days of prayer. I will walk into the future in ignorance, right? <laughs> Um, and so I really went to the Lord. I was like, okay, Lord, you know, how are you leading in this way? And, and God began to prepare our team, and we met with our staff, and I said, listen, I feel like in this next season, things are going to change, and we need to be prepared to rethink the way that we minister to the heart of the people around us. And uh, the, the day that we brought our son into our home was also the day that the whole country shut down, which if you ever want to adopt a child, I definitely recommend bringing a child into your home the day of a global pandemic, uh, just for the sake of it lowers your stress a lot. Uh, but in that moment, in that moment, God began to prepare us in a very unique way. And so we just, we sensed that change in the, in the current, so to speak, and we went with it as the Lord led. And we are not perfect, and we didn't do everything perfectly, but we just went as the Lord led. And I would have to say, as brutal and as difficult and as tragic of a season as this has been, God still managed to give this church a greater direction and vision even amidst it. It's where things like Love the Block were formed. It's where a lot of our identity has been shaped. And so only God can do that amidst global tragedy still bring something full of life. And so it's been interesting the past few months, and I know this is a longer intro, and don't worry, we're going to jump into scripture and walk through verse by verse, but in the past few months, I've really been praying and seeking the Lord for what this new season is for our church. And I feel kind of like the sensing of, of the current and the shifting of the current, though not for a sense of dread or a spirit of the unknown, but as I've been praying and longing and meeting with others who are praying and longing for God move, given the state of our nation, the state of our city, and the state really of this generation, that there's a, a great calling of God on this church, and he's trying to stir our hearts into a greater expectation of what's possible if we minister with him and not just for him. And the Holy Spirit really began to stir a longing for, for more of Him. And, and it led me to Acts, because Acts is the continuation of the work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through His disciples. Right? It's the continuation of the work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through His disciples. And so I dove into the book of Acts, and I was studying some scriptures and then teaching them to our team, and they can attest that I was teaching them to our team some of these scriptures that were really heavy on my heart that, as the Lord was leading, began to give me visions of that were beginning to be fulfilled in really powerful, supernatural ways. And I... Uh, we went to the Assemblies of God conference, and I went because um, Gillian was getting credentialed as a minister, and we were very excited uh, as, our, as our staff becomes credentialed in that. And uh, so then I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go back Tuesday, and then everyone was committed to going, and I said I would, so I had to, uh, because if I say I'm going to do something, I have to do it. It's kind of a thing I do. Um, so I went on Tuesday, and I was like, 
And the speaker got up, and the speaker spoke on this portion of Acts that I had been heavily diving into. But to be fair, it was an Assemblies of God conference, so the likelihood he spoke on Acts was high. Like, it was a roll of the dice if it was going to be Acts or Corinthians 14. One of those two he was landing on, right? And so and I was like, okay, Lord, is this coincidence? Like, have you ever had that moment with God? You're like, is this coincidence? And so I just prayed a prayer. And I don't know how spiritual this prayer is. I prayed some very spiritual prayers in my life. This probably wasn't one of them. But I just said, God, if you're speaking, please speak loudly. Right? God, if you're speaking, please speak loudly so I know. Because it's not just me, right? It's, it's, it's the course of where we're going. And so the speaker in the moment, you know, did what speakers did. He called the senior pastors down. There's a lot of senior pastors there. And I was like, man, I'm having a moment with God. Like, I don't know if I want you to interrupt my moment, right, that I'm having with the Lord, which is a selfish in hindsight. And so what I did is I went towards, like, this is the center. I went towards it. And at the last second, I was like, oh, it looks full. And I went to the side because I've been in church long enough to know how to make that move, right? And some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, oh, that looks full. Hey, you go. And then you kind of like scoot over to the side. So I was over at the side having my moment with Jesus, and I hear this guy say, you with the beard, which I don't know if that narrows it down, so I don't look. I don't look because I don't want to make eye contact, and, uh, and he says, you with the beard, and I look, and he's looking at me, so I'm like, huh? You know, like, I don't know what I said, and he said, come up, and he's, so I came up, and he began to pray, and I just say this to share what the Lord's doing, is get to pray the exact same things that we have been praying, began to pray the exact prayer. I had prayed in that moment. I said, God, I pray that there would be a fresh anointing upon our church. Like that, it, that in Acts, when the believers who were already filled with the Spirit had undergone suffering, that they gathered together in the house and they prayed and it said the Holy Spirit shook it and they were given a fresh anointing of boldness upon them. And I said, God, we need that. We have suffered. We have struggled. We need a fresh anointing. And he began to speak that over us. And so I went home. And I was like trying to process in the car with our staff, and I went home, and I fell on my knees, and I just said, Holy Spirit, I'm all in for you. We'll teach about you. We'll walk with you. We'll believe great things for you. We're, just, we're all in. Wherever you're leading, we want to go. And so we're kicking off this act series because I really believe that God is beginning to stir something in our hearts, and I want us to look at what's really this beautiful example of the works of Jesus continued by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. In the next eight weeks, we're going to focus on this, this work that is, that is uh, beautifully laid out, even amongst difficulty in the early church. And I want to encourage you with a word as we talk about the Holy Spirit, which I think is, for some, a difficult topic to address. And it's the word expectation. See, immediately when I say Holy Spirit, you begin to assume, likely if you've been at church a while, that I'm going to put, or this church is going to put, an expectation upon you. That you're going to be expected, I mean it's a Pentecostal church, that you're going to be expected to speak in tongues. That you're going to be expected to prophesy. Some of you are like, what? I didn't even have that expectation, now I'm paralyzed by it, right? <laughs> what? Many, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, fear that there's an expectation of the gifts of the Spirit put upon us. But can I tell you, that is by no means how we long to operate in the Spirit. The expectation is not upon you, it's upon the Spirit. However the Spirit decides to work through you, praise God. But the expectation is of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, I trust you, I follow you, I lead you. And so I want you to hear me say today in this church, there is not an inside and an outside when it comes to this church. There is not a, oh, if I don't do... I don't know, if I don't, even that is wrong fundamentally. If I don't operate in the Spirit in this way, then I won't be on the end. I'm going to be... That's not how this works. If I can, just encourage you. And I know we're very emotional people. We're a very emotional generation. Can I just encourage you for like the next eight weeks just to chill? <laughs> right? Just to hear the word of God and to obey it. Hear the word of God and obey it. You're like, I don't know if I can speak in tongues. Like some of you, you came prepared. You heard there was a series on the Holy Spirit. You got like a catapult of reasons why things can't happen. You're just like waiting for me to preach on Pentecost and you'd be like, no, right? <laughs> Not in my day, right? That's how it is, right? Some of you, 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 you haven't seen it. You're like the flat earthers of the Holy Spirit. You're like, I haven't seen it, so it must not be real. I read an article on the internet that says, listen, just chill. 
for like eight weeks. Can I just encourage you? There's no expectation on you. There's no expectation that you would prophesy. But can I encourage you? It is a blessing when the Holy Spirit moves. But for the next eight weeks, I want to talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to believe for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it starts with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you're afraid here today, that you're like, well, it can't come to this church anymore because it's going to be one of those gifts. Listen, yeah, we believe in the gifts. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is not going to hurt you. It's not going to traumatize you. That he wants to bless you. And he wants to bless his church. And so let's read the Word of God together. Let's obey His commands, and let's allow Him to move through us. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Okay. I know you're like, this is a confusing Pentecostal church. You're really going to be confused. We're not even getting to Pentecost today. Right? <laughs> We're just going to do Acts 1. I know. We're doing crazy stuff, guys. But let's read the Word of God together. Can we do that? In fact, let me pray for you today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us. And I pray even in this moment that our hearts would just be open to how you want to move. We yield to you, Lord. We yield to you everything. And we just ask would you move because we know you're good and you're trustworthy. So God, if there's any biases or hurts here even, abuses in the church when it comes to you, Holy Spirit, I know that grieves your heart. And so I pray would you do a healing work even right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, if you brought your Bible, open to Acts. Because it's a series on Acts. Acts 1, verse 1. Yeah, good guess. Verse 1. It says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. He wrote Luke, and now he's writing the book of Acts, and he's addressing it to Theophilus, which is very like, you know, a patron of the faith, and he's directing this book. And though he's directing the writing in this initial uh, introduction to Theophilus, the book is written to the church. It is it is written for the sake of the church, but it is directed, which is a pretty common uh, format, and especially later when you get into the epistles. But it's written and directed, and he makes this beginning pinnacle statement about the book of Acts, and his intent as the writer is that he is writing Jesus, uh, he writes that Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And this is the constant theme we're going to see in Acts, that this is the continuation of the works of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through his disciples as the church. And it's important that we remember that the works of Jesus continue in his church, that the works of God, right, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, continue in his church. They didn't end when he ascended. They were always in his teaching that they would continue through the counselor, through the Holy Spirit. And so it says in verse 3, everyone sit with me, amen? amen? He says, he presented himself, he meaning Jesus, presented himself alive to them, them meaning the apostles, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Very powerful imagery. He's appearing for 40 days days, and 40 days is a strong visual and has a lot of meaning and would have a lot of meaning to the Jewish audience in addressing, you know, even way back to Noah, the 40 years in the desert, Jesus in the wilderness, as many other situations with Daniel and others in, in the Old Testament. But he says, for 40 days he appeared to them. And then in verse 4 it says, while staying with them, this is Jesus, he ordered them, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, quote, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is a pinnacle moment uh, for the early church and for those who would be disciples of Jesus Christ. And I know Acts 2 is the, is the, the part with the you know, tongues of fire and the movement and the, the message, but this is a pinnacle moment for the church because it's preparing the church, it's setting the foundation to fulfill the great ministry call that he's put upon them. 
And so in the final moments of um, Jesus' life, Luke is now in many ways recalling what Jesus has done to prepare his disciples in this kind of fourfold uh, development of ministry strategy and directive. And, and there's a couple things he does. I want to give you a couple things that he says in the scripture. In verse 2, it says, Jesus chose his disciples. These were the apostles he had chosen. The word there, eklegomai, means to literally be designated with purposeful intent. That he designated them with intent. It's the same term that's going to be used when they look for a disciple and they designate purposely a disciple to replace Judas in just a few short verses. And, it, and it's a powerful thought in verse 2 that reminds them that Jesus had intentionally appointed these men to be apostles, to follow him and to go out and do the things that he called them to do, that they were chosen. But also, we see in this same portion of Scripture that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. And on the surface, the idea of revealing is directly proportionate to the, the, how he revealed after his resurrection. And that is true. He did reveal himself to them after his resurrection. But there's a greater uh, uh, overarching idea that's crucial here where Jesus revealed himself as the truth, the way to his disciples. Are you with me? That Jesus in his ministry revealed the truth to his disciples and that he was also revealed in the resurrection. Which is why later in scripture, later in Acts, when, they're, when they are trying to pick someone to replace Judas, they say, listen, it needs to be somebody who was there in his ministry and someone who was there at the resurrection. Why? Because they had to be a witness. It's hard to be a witness for something you've not seen. The level of difficulty increases, right? They said, we got to pick somebody who has been a witness. So he revealed himself to these people. They had an objective experience of the risen Lord, and it was crucial to their coming witness. And then the third thing is that we see in the scripture from Luke is that Jesus commanded, or in other words, commissioned the disciples. Not only did Jesus speak to them of the Holy Spirit, did you catch what he did? It said he spoke to them through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit that dwelled within him. I love this, that Jesus is ministering with, the Holy Spirit is ministering through and with Jesus Christ because he was upon Jesus. And so he commissions them in a reaffirmation in many ways of the Great Commission, which he gave in Matthew 28. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is critical for the idea of even being an apostle. Right? It's a descriptive word. Right, to be an apostle is literally to be an ambassador who has a message whose authority is attached to the original sender. And so Jesus chose his apostles. He showed himself to them as preliminaries to sending them out to preach and teach his name. And so finally what we see in this portion of Acts in Acts 1-4 is that Jesus not only did all these things, but he promised then the Holy Spirit. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, quote, you heard from me, John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of the promise of the Father. And as a Jewish audience, that would have been critical in understanding what was to come next. Because Joel 2.28 was one of the pivotal understandings in, in, in this post-fast and post-spirit day of the Lord of understanding what was to come. And it says in Joel 2.28, you might have heard this before, it says, It shall come to pass afterward that I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So during Jesus' ministry, if you're unfamiliar with the Gospels, let me just tell you, during Jesus' ministry, he is the primary reference of the Holy Spirit being upon someone. 
right? He's the primary reference of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit descended upon him on his baptism in Luke 3.22. The Spirit filled him as he returned from the Jordan in Luke 4.1. The Spirit led him in and out of the wilderness in Luke 4.1 and Luke 14. And the Spirit rested upon him in his sermon at Nazareth in Luke 4.18. And so now what Jesus is promising, and I'm just laying a foundation. I hope you're staying with me here. What Jesus is promising is that the spirit that rested upon him will now empower the disciples to witness. And and follow the importance here because what he's telling these people who have followed him with their lives, right, who've given up their futures and said, we trust you, we follow you. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Like, we're with you. We're going with you. We've seen you very recently be brutally executed, right? We're with you. And you told us the same things were going to happen to us, like, but we're still with you. He's telling them, listen, the same me, Jesus, the same one who taught you during my life would continue to instruct them through the presence of the Spirit. Right, the same Jesus who taught them during his earthly life would continue to instruct them through the presence of the Spirit. Because currently, and look at, look at the change that's happening, currently, they experience the presence of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. But after Pentecost, after the ascension, and after the Spirit comes in Pentecost, they experience Jesus through the presence of the Spirit. Jesus says, you were baptized in water through John, now you're going to be baptized in the Spirit. And there's a common pattern in all of Acts of repentance, baptism, and the gift of the Spirit. Now, gift, singular, meaning he's the gift, not gifts, plural, meaning uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And this might send me to AG jail, but it's, (laughs) I have to say it, but all three are essential elements of the conversion experience, and yet in the book of Acts, the narrative pattern doesn't give a set that those patterns have to be in of repentance, baptisms, and gift of the Spirit. Maybe we won't put this online. I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting because the Spirit can come before baptism, as in Acts 10.47. The Spirit could come in conjunction with baptism, as in Acts 2.38. Or the Spirit could come sometime after baptism, as in Acts 816. Don't worry, we'll cover all of those. But what I want to say right away, and what Luke is focusing on, is that the gift of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, is an essential part of conversion. It is a blessing and a gift for you. And oftentimes, we get so hung up on what the gifts of the Spirit are going to look like that we forget about the gift of the Spirit in our life for you with you. And so Jesus in Acts 1 is establishing, Luke is telling us how he's establishing this fourfold equipment of the apostles of Christ. And though we're not the initial apostles, we're followers of disciples. And so in some ways, we have this blessing of recognizing that Christ has chosen us, that he's revealed himself to us, that he's commissioned us as his witness, and he's both promised, and for us, we're blessed in that he has given his spirit. And so the Holy Spirit then is how we experience the presence of Jesus Christ. And just like the disciples, we are ordinary men and women, but we are given something pretty extraordinary through Jesus Christ, and that's the presence of God by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter, you know, as they would say, you know, who you are, where you're from, no matter what you did, right? As long as you love me. He, the Holy Spirit has come for all people who are believers in Jesus Christ. So he establishes this, and then... The disciples asked a question. Verse 6. You still with me? Okay. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, the apostles, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And it sounds like an odd question, but it's actually a really good question. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And it says in verse 9, when he had seen these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of their sight. That's an interesting question. Will you now restore Israel? Like, hey, so you've died, you did ministry, resurrected, we're kind of with you. But the question still pertains, will you restore Israel? And that's because in Jewish thought, the coming of the Spirit in Joel 2.28 was the coming of Israel's final salvation. And I, I think sometimes we're very hard on, on the Jewish 
people as believers, but like it makes sense to me that they would interpret it with some kind of nationalistic understanding. Even though Jesus like preached against that, it's like this is what you've grown up with your whole life. It's like when the Spirit comes and it's going to restore Israel, or it's going to be like when David was here, right? And it's going to, I mean, I joked in first service, I bet Uriah would have feelings about how Israel was when David was there, but in, in, a, in a visual and symbolic sense of, of the feast, right, that it was going to be this beautiful moment. And so the Jews saw this outpouring of God's Spirit on Israel as the mark of the final great messianic day of the Lord, when Israel would be restored to their glory, the glory of David, the glory of Solomon, but in an even greater sense. And so Jesus reminds them in this moment, it's not about you. It's not about man. These matters are for, are for God's purpose. And this is an important note as it comes to walking with the Holy Spirit. A great way to tell if someone is moving being led by the Holy Spirit or they just found a neat way to get more money is if it is to build the kingdom of God or their kingdom. <laughs> If it is for the purposes of God or the purposes of man. Just if you're, looking, if you're on YouTube and you're wondering, how do I filter this information? There you go. That's a good one. But Jesus reminds them it's not about your times and dates. And essentially what Jesus is doing is he's depoliticizing the restoration of Israel with a call to worldwide missions. Are you still with me? He's depoliticizing this restoration of Israel with a call to worldwide missions because the Jews were not called simply to preach to the Jews, though that would have been a reasonable understanding if you were Jewish. You would think that's what's going to happen. But the disciples were to be the true restored Israel. The disciples were to be the true restored Israel that would fulfill its mission to be a, quote, light to the Gentiles, as Scripture tells us so that God's salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. They were to be so much more than just preaching to the Jews. It was to go everywhere. That was the purpose of Israel, to be a light to the Gentiles, though they've rarely fulfilled that purpose. But he said, now the disciples, this is your purpose. I've given you a mission to the ends of the earth. They're like, great. How are we going to do that? He's like, by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. See, the Holy Spirit gives power and witness Jesus says in verse 8, you will receive power. What kind of power? Like authority, dominion. I know this generation, we struggle. We talked about this recently. We struggle with this idea of power. Any power is seen as domineering. But that is not the power of Jesus Christ, nor is it the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not domineering. It's dynamis. Same word used for the miracles of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. It's a miraculous power. It's not a power that adds chains. It's a power that breaks chains. It's not a power that gives suffering. It's a power that heals. It's not a power that puts down. It's a power that casts out demonic forces and brings life. There's another great filter for it. If it's putting on chains, it's probably not. Now, if it's convicting, it probably is. <laughs> But the power he's given has a purpose. It's an endowment for witness. It's an equipping for mission. The disciples were filled and promised of the Holy Spirit so that they could fulfill their witness, not holding it in, not making big services, not being focused on themselves to go witness. It was never in Jesus' mind for the church to try to figure out how to be as comfortable as humanly possible. Like, it was to go. It was to witness. It was to testify. It was to see the Spirit heal. It, it, it is a the profound burden of the Western church that we are comfort, that we are comfortable, and the more discomfort we find, the more it will shape the reality of what's required to the Holy Spirit. It changes us. It shifts our attention and our focus because often we think the goal is that I would be as comfortable, and I agree the church should be safe. Your kids are safe. You're safe to come here and to pray and believe, but the faith, the faith, not your faith, the faith is a little dangerous. It has a track record of leading to death and martyrdom. It takes courage. It costs something, and if it doesn't yet for you, it will. There's a reason that historically it was called, and this might not lead to the best altar call, but it is what it is. It's the call to come and die. Yeah. Because in dying to ourselves, we receive life through Jesus Christ and eternal life. But we were never expected to do this without the Spirit. We were never expected to do it alone. He is our power to witness. That's why our mission, right? We exist so that all people can experience the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ. The freedom is through His death and resurrection. The power is through His Holy Spirit. I find it interesting, John Stott said one time that without the Holy Spirit, 
Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. The disciple without the spirit is powerless. You can wear whatever t-shirts you want. You can do whatever Bible studies you want. You can dress it up whatever you want, and you can manufacture it however you want, but the disciple without the spirit is powerless. The church without the Spirit is powerless. The mission without the Spirit is powerless. Church, can I just encourage you? We must be those who accept nothing else but the move of God. See, if you want to move, it requires real sustenance, right? Difficulty kind of refines this, right? If you want to sit at your desk all day, you can kind of get away with eating uh, a lot of food with a lot of preservatives and fake food and junk food. If you go hike the Grand Canyon, you know what you need? Like real food, right? real sustenance. So you can have whatever is manufactured and whatever is made up, and I don't know, whatever McDonald's is called now, it's still delicious, and then you feel terrible after you eat it. But uh, whatever that food is, right? If you work at McDonald's, God bless you. Let's hang out. But the reality is it's not going to sustain you to hike the Grand Canyon. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and that is very much our spiritual walk. That's very much our spiritual walk, is if we're functioning in manufactured spiritual experiences rather than being sustained by the fruit of the Spirit as He is at work in our life, that we can't really move, can we? Church, I believe that it's time for us to really shake away the trappings of manufactured spirit and religious experience and to embrace the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and to submit to Him. Look at all these unpopular words. Submit to Him to obey him, to be led by him, and then to rejoice in his work. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And so what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Oh, man, it's like my least favorite word. Wait. <laughs> right? Here's Jesus, right? Like, just think of this moment. He's like, hey, here's this great mission. The Spirit's going to be upon you. You're going to reach the ends of the world. Like, it's amazing. You're going to do things that I did. Like, you're going to see powerful things. Then he's like, and wait. And then... Right, he's gone. He ascends. It's like, wait. Why not just give it right now? You're literally God, right? Like, you. It could have been like, whoo, whoo, like collective motion. Like, Jesus, fuego, fire. One, two, one, two. Right? That would have been it. And so easy. And just been a couple dudes on a mountain speaking in tongues. Why did he wait? Well, obviously for directed purposes for the mission. But I think also he's teaching something to his people. Jesus is the perfect teacher, amen? He's teaching something. He's teaching something. He says, I know you want to run. I know you want to go by your own strength, by your own power, but said, I love you too much to abandon you to that. See, I invited you into my resurrection that we would be united. And as I ascend, I give you my spirit so that we are still united, that you're not meant to do this alone. And he teaches something, and, and they respond in such a, such a beautiful way. In verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. It says, When they'd entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Important clarification. Not the other Judas. I'm Judas, the son of James. And he said, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. We know from the context surrounding these verses that there are about 120 people there, which is such a fascinating thing when we think westerly about the upper room experience. We usually think like a living room experience. We think like 15 people. That's like what we think, like, that's the ideal amount, 15 people. There was at least 120 people. That is essentially all of you and then everybody from first service. So the church, kind of. I mean, well, there's a little more. But let's say around that, right? If, if all the kids were back there giving all our kids' workers a heart attack, because it would be like 65 children, if that was the case, if you all came at one time. The, so there was a good amount of people, and a list 
the, the group of people who were gathered there. You had the inner circle of disciples. It says, that, it says they had the women there. So it was likely Mary Magdalene, uh, probably Joanna. Um, there was likely that Susanna was there. Like, there's people who were, who were gathered. We know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And there was a good amount of people gathered. And they were gathered in an upper room, which in a Palestinian home was likely the second to third floor, if you had it. They, whoa. I thought Jesus was coming back, man. Woo! I was disappointed at his level of trumpetry, but uh, how disappointed would you raise a hand? Disappointed you'd be if that's how the trumpet at the end of the day sounded like. I mean, it's probably going to be a ringtone, but man, that was crazy. Woo! Thought that was it. I was ready to go. It's been a long week. All right. <laughs> Anyways. Where were we? Oh, yeah, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So they were in a large room, kind of like this, and someone's phone went off, and then Peter Skolt. No, I'm saying, uh, <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> Amazing. I love that it was you, too. I love you so much. Oh, man. Uh, they were gathered to pray. And it, said, it tells us two things about their, about their prayers in, in verse 14 that I just want to focus on here as we close. Because I think it's exemplary as those who seek the Spirit. We're not going into Acts 2. We're just staying right here because I think it stirs a practice, a response in us that I want to encourage as we enter into a series on Acts. And it's two things. First, their prayer was united. Their prayer was united. Luke says there's about 120. I was reading uh, Professor Howard Marshall that suggested that the reason 120 is mentioned is because in Jewish law, a minimum of, a, of 120 Jewish men was required to establish a community with its own council. So they essentially had in that moment their own community. That's an interesting thought. But what we can know for sure is that these 120 people, men and women, right, Peter, John, James, Andrew, the core, the rest of the apostles, the women who are mentioned, the women who have been following Jesus as part of that ministry as well. Men and women gathered together, believing and standing in testimony. And, it's, and Luke says that all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That word there that Luke uses for one accord, he loves this word because he uses it 10 times and the rest of the New Testament only uses it one time. So he's pressed into it. And the word here really is to inspire. It's homothematon. And it's really the capturing of this idea of togetherness in mind and purpose. Togetherness in mind and purpose, to be of one accord. And I want to encourage you, if we long for the Spirit to move, it takes a church being united together. How much damage has come from a disunited church? To be of one accord, not arguing, hear me church, not fighting, not gossiping, not apathetic, not selfish, but united. Not worried about how the Spirit's moving in others, but just focused on the Lord and the unity of believers, united. Not walking in insecurities, but allowing the Lord to heal. Not battling with others, not talking behind their back, but just being united. Accepting people, engaging with them, loving them, and following God together. Did you know it's, when we follow God together, it gets a little messy because we're not perfect. So if you're in a church and you follow God with someone, they're going to mess up. And if you're near them and they're flailing their arms, they might hit you, right? like spiritually, so to speak, consequentially. And so in joining the body of Christ, you have to join with an understanding that you're not the only messy one in the church. And the beautiful thing about prayer is it focuses us on God together, not the messiness of the, sometimes the bruises we get around us. We go, yeah, I'm a little offended, but God. Yeah, I'm struggling, but God. Yeah, I don't like what they posted on Instagram, but God, right? We're going to focus together. We're going to be united. Church, if we if we really believe for all that God's called us, then we got to be united. And you're saying, well, you're the pastor. You have to believe that. I'm like, no, the reason I'm the pastor is because I believe that. The reason that I'm here, the reason that I moved my family, the reason that a good portion of our staff are people who have left their families to move here to minister to this city is because they believe in the power of a united church. They can see God move. They can see him change. There's something beautiful that happens when the people of God pray united. We're going to see that all throughout Acts. But the second thing, you still with me? Okay. Last thing today. Their prayer was persevering. 
In fact, Ben, you guys can come up. Their prayer was persevering. I read this. I, I thought this was a great phrase, that the time before Pentecost was a time for waiting, a time spent in prayer undoubtedly for the promised spirit and for the power to witness. There is no effective witness without the spirit, and the way to spiritual empowerment is to wait in prayer. It says they devoted themselves to prayer together. I love that word there because this word proskatereo that, that is, is in this scripture is this profound conjunction, that this gathering of terms to mean persevere devotedly. And I love like sometimes in translating, we, as we go thought for thought, sometimes we miss some of the, the power of each individual word. And there's power in this idea of persevering devotedly, persevering together. The disciples saw a call of God on their life. They knew the command of Jesus, and they were committed to persevering in prayer until it was fulfilled. Church, are we committed to persevering in prayer? Can I just ask that question? I mean, honestly, or is it like, I'm committed until the time's up, pastor? Are we committed to persevering in prayer with one another to get together, to gather one-on-one -on -one and intercede together and believe and pray, or is it just like the last thing you do in small group? Are we committed? Are we committed to persevering in prayer? Or is it like, man, you know what? If I haven't seen exactly what I'm looking for in the time frame I'm looking for, I'm giving up on it. Can I just encourage you that there is a blessed life in persevering in prayer? Especially since you've already received the Spirit. It's not like the apostles were waiting for the Spirit to come. You have the Spirit within you. It's persevering in prayer with the Spirit who is indwelt within you. And that so often we toss up a few prayers, we get distracted, we get frustrated, we move on. But the disciples, man, they had tenacity, if nothing else. They had tenacity. Said if God promised it, he'll fulfill it. If God promised it, if Jesus promised it, he's going to fulfill it. And like Moses, as God is preparing to lead them into the promised land, he says, fine, I'll, I'll fulfill it. People are frustrated. He said, fine, I'll, I'll send you with an angel. I'll send you with the angel of the Lord, which is still a good deal. Say to the angel, Lord, the promised land. And Moses says, no, 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 no. If you don't go with us, if your presence don't, doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. Church, we need that. You know, as a church, we are, as some of you might know, but we're, we're selling this building. Uh, we were doing a campaign to build on, but given things in the city, we're actually selling to, to buy a larger facility. And my prayer very much over this church is, God, don't send us up from here without your spirit manifest in every way. We don't want a bigger building. We don't want bigger systems. We don't want better kids' space if your spirit is not upon it. We don't want a better community outreach We don't. if your spirit is not upon it. I don't want to live my whole life manufacturing for God. I want to walk and minister with God. We need the spirit in our families. We need the spirit to move upon our children. We need the spirit in our homes and in our schools. We need the spirit to move. We're so worried about getting like the Ten Commandments set back up in front of the school. What we need is the Holy Spirit in the school. Man, you teachers who are full of the Spirit, we're so thankful for you because your ministers are the Most High God, even when you can't say with your words what you might want to say. You're full of the Spirit. That's what the Lord is doing. We need that in every possible way, the Spirit at work. And the, man, I love the example of the disciples. They waited and prayed fervently together. Can I encourage you? Keep praying fervently. Keep praying over your family. Keep praying over your loved ones. Keep praying for your husband. Keep praying for your wife. Keep praying for your community. Keep praying for this church. Keep praying together. Yes, the night is dark, but God is good. And his light is truth. And he will shine it upon his people, upon this church. And he will bring light to even the dark deeds and the dark places. And he will draw them into his truth. And we will see it revealed through the Holy Spirit. And we will see healings and transformation as they've already begun. As we've already seen the first fruits, I believe that God's going to bring them to fruition. I believe that God is going to bring them to completion. Not because of our location. Not because of our staff. Not because of our systems. But because of the Holy Spirit at work in normal people who said, I will persevere 
in prayer. I won't throw my biases at it. I won't throw my nose at the Lord. I'm just going to say, yes, God, wherever you lead, I'll go. However you move, I'll move. However you direct, I'll, I'll walk through. I just want the gift of the Spirit at work in my life. Holy Spirit, how many of you have prayed this prayer recently? Holy Spirit, I repent of living my life knowing that you're present but not walking with your presence and just saying, Holy Spirit, move in your presence in my life. Help me to live a life that's only explainable by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you already have that testimony. I want to say praise God for you. Build the faith of this church. But this morning, I want to invite you because when it comes to the move of the Spirit, I often see many judgments but few prayers. And I just simply want to invite you to pray with me that God would move and that we would be obedient. And in being obedient, that we would see revival through this church. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray that God would renew you this morning. I'm going to pray even over, my, over myself. and that sounds crazy, but I just want to pray with you as a body of Christ. That the Holy Spirit would begin to stir up a hunger in us for more of him. When I say that, here's what I mean. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. For those of you who have never experienced the Holy Spirit at work in your life, my prayer in praying that more of him is that you would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. For those of you who have the Spirit, my prayer is twofold for you. That you would have a greater revelation to the reality of his presence in your life. And that there would be a greater manifestation of the gifts and the power of him through you. That we would see that at work in your life. So I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you want to join me in praying, Holy Spirit, would you just stir up a hunger for more of you? You're like, I have a longing, or I want a longing, or I don't even want a longing, but I want to want it. I'm just exhausted, and I need more of the Holy Spirit. God, I don't want to do it on my own. I don't want to do it by my own power. Holy Spirit, I long for you to move through me. Stir up a hunger for more of you. If that's you and you want to pray with me, I would love to pray over you. Would you just lift your hands with me? Holy Spirit, stir up a hunger for more of you. More of you in my life. Let me pray for you before the band leads us and declares revival over this church. Let me pray over you. Holy Spirit, I pray a fresh anointing upon every hand that is raised here in this place. I pray like that the early church, that though they had been filled with the Spirit, that when they had suffered, they prayed and received a boldness from you. I pray a boldness from you right now, Holy Spirit, upon each life. I pray a fresh anointing. I pray for an encouragement. God, I pray for a renewal. God, I especially pray right now for our teachers and our administrators finishing the year who have been under the weight. God, I pray a renewal and a refreshing upon them, fresh vision and encouragement in these final weeks and moments. Holy Spirit, we pray for a hunger for you and in hungering and in seeking that we might walk out obediently to your call. I pray, God, that you would break away biases, that you would break away bitterness, that you would break away selfishness and pride, that you would break away a fear of judgment or being an outcast. And God, very simply, that you would fall afresh on those here this morning, that you would renew and strengthen them, that you would give them dreams and visions, that you would give them prophecy, that you would begin to speak through them. And as we walk, Lord, and learn more about you, God, that you would move through this church. We pray, move upon Banner Church. Move upon your people. Move upon the church in this nation. Move upon your church in this world. Bring about bring about the move of the Spirit in every possible way. Healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus upon lives and families. Restoration by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Holy Spirit, we don't want to do it without you. Don't send us without you. Stir up a hunger for you within us, mighty God, this morning. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.